Matthew chapter 26. We'll be starting in verse 17 in just a moment. In a short way of review, I just want to remind us that last week we talked about how, how much the religious leaders feared people. Not only did they fear men, but they loved money and they hated Jesus. And I mentioned that we oftentimes see that same recipe played out today more than we'd like to admit, I'm afraid. Um, we also talked about the difference in value that Judas and Mary placed on Jesus, right? Judas, four months wages of 30 pieces of silver, Mary, a year's wages of the, the ointment that she poured out on Christ. They, they valued him very differently. And it reminds us of the truth that what we value most is most precious to us. And you know that. I know that. Uh, lastly, in way of review, magnifying Christ is always an appropriate action for a Christian. Right? That's what we saw in Mary's incredible gift of this ointment that she poured out. It was valuable in an earthly sense, but for Christ, it prepared him for his upcoming burial, as he said. And so it reminds us that Jesus deserves our very best. So let's look at chapter 26, <clears throat> verses 17 through 30 today. Matthew twenty-six seventeen. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat this Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the 12. And as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful. And begin to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You've said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take eat. This is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the trans for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in the fa in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's pray. Father, this is uh, this is a seemingly just historical account of a situation that happened in the life of Christ. And yet we know, because there's always more, um, we know that there's more to this. We know that this is a foreshadowing of what we are to do as your people, even in 2019, as we take the cup and eat the bread. Lord, help us to see the connections that you would have us to see this morning. Remind us of Christ as our Passover lamb. As we study this text, as we look at it deeper, open our hearts to your word. In Christ's name, amen. So, starts off talking about the Passover, right? Um, I mentioned this last week, but I just want to remind you again. The Passover was a big deal. And thousands of people were coming to this annual festival to celebrate the Passover and the Passover was this uh, celebration where they would remember 
the freedom, liberation from their bondage in Egypt, right? Generations and generations of people had been in bondage in Egypt and they had come out. And so this is what the Jews were remembering. This is what the Passover signified. It was recorded originally in the book of Exodus, thousands of years before Christ. And it had to do with the plagues that were happening in Egypt, that were being brought on in Egypt. You'll remember the last plague specifically was the plague that God brought on the Egyptians for their rebellion, for their hard-heartedness, and it was the death of the firstborn. Um, if he, uh, Exodus chapter 12 goes into this. We'll look at that a little bit. But you probably know the story. In order for them to be saved from this fate, from the death of the firstborn in the house, the Jews were told to kill a spotless one-year-old or so lamb and to spread its blood on the top and the sides of their doorposts of their home. Now, this was done out of a reverent fear of the Lord and, and out of obedience. Think about this. Think about what these, these Jews had just seen. The river was turned to blood, right? Millions of frogs are jumping around. Gnats are there. People have boils. Animals, livestock are dying. All of these incredible events are happening that they saw too. They didn't experience all of the same, but they saw all these things. They had a right, they had a, a good reason to just do what they were told here, don't they? Okay, Lord, this might seem strange, but I've just seen a lot of strange things. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it just to be safe. They had a reason to obey God. Think, think too, and we're not going to talk a whole lot about the plagues, but these plagues, this was a culmination of these plagues where God is not only giving Pharaoh and the Egyptians opportunities to repent in some ways, but also to just show his unmatched power just to come right out and all these other gods that they worshiped, Yahweh, Elohim is overall. Okay. That was part of the point of some of those. Uh, the, the, so the final plague was the death of the firstborn. Um, it says in verse 11 of Exodus 12 that a great cry was heard in Egypt that day. I believe that's true. After this event, or even before, as they were preparing for it, uh, they're told to remember this event forever. Okay, they're given very specific instructions. In fact, they're in your notes. You can turn to Exodus chapter 12 if you want to read with me, verse 24. This is what they're told. They said, you shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people in Israel in Egypt, of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. The Passover was an extremely important part of Jewish heritage. This was something that Pat was to be passed down for generations to generations forever, it says. And, and this is why the disciples, even after Jesus had just kind of unleashed this bomb on them of saying, I'm going to be delivered to be killed. That's why they were still concerned about observing the Passover. Despite what Jesus just said, they still were like, well, hey, where are we going to do this? This is important to us. 
In verse 18 of Matthew 26, Jesus, he gives them specific instructions to speak with a certain man. Now, Mark, the book of Mark, uh, says that Jesus tells them to look for a man carrying a pitcher of water. And they, this guy would give them space to observe the Passover together. So as they're reclining and eating and talking about the Passover, as what they were doing, the history of this was to discuss what God had brought them out from, to think back to the years, the centuries in bondage in Egypt, and then think of what God has brought them out of. So as they're sitting around talking about this, surely, remembering the lamb and the blood on the doorposts, Jesus, he drops another bomb on them, and he says, it's one of you guys who's going to betray me. One of you. One of the guys I've traveled with for a long time is going to betray me. The, the disciples were upset. Some of them were heartbroken. And they each asked if, if it was him. Lord, is it, is, it, is it me? Now, this might be a little thing, but I, I want us to notice that the words the disciples used when asking Jesus this question. Now, 11 of them used the word Lord. You can kind of look there in, in Matthew in the text. They use the, the term Lord, while Judas uses a different term for Jesus, Rabbi. Rabbi in this, in this context seems to be almost like more honorable, um, more respecting of him. And I think what we see here is Judas almost feigning respect in order to conceal his own evil heart. So he's, for lack of a better term, brown-nosing a bit so that his own sin isn't revealed. Surely the other guys aren't thinking it'd be Judas. It wouldn't be the guy that Jesus entrusted the money bag to. Surely he's not the deceiver. But everything that Judas had kept under wraps was about to be revealed. All the evil, all the deception in his heart would soon be uncovered, and it was not going to be a good day for him. In fact, in verse 24, Jesus puts it this way. He says, it would have been better for that man to not have been born. That's quite a statement, isn't it? It, it actually stings a little bit as we read this sort of a thing. Now, why would Jesus say something like this? Um, it wasn't because Jesus was going, or Judas was going to betray him, I don't think. That, I, I think we see in the life of Peter, that sort of thing can be forgiven. Right? Uh, in fact, Peter denies him three times. But his outcome is very different from Judas's outcome, isn't it? Well, what is so different, different between the two? Well, one life, as we'll continue and see, one life ends in guilt and one ends in martyrdom. One, end, one ends in running from Christ and one ends running to Christ. So why would Jesus say something like this? Here's, I think, the short answer. Um, the way Judas and the way Peter responded couldn't have been more different. We'll talk about this in a couple weeks more. But the way that they responded to their sin makes all the difference. It would be better to not exist than to exist in hell forever. That's, I think, what Jesus was getting at here. It would be better to not exist than to exist in hell forever. But the beautiful thing about where this story is headed, about what Jesus is doing, is that he's going to make a way 
to save people from acts of betrayal like this. Soon he was going to die for things like this. That those, for those who are actually guilty of treacherous acts might live, but he might die. And, and not that we would just live like struggle and get by, but we're told to live abundantly. Right? Now that doesn't mean a full bank account and lots of cars in the driveway. That means life to its fullest, content in what the Lord has given us. So now this, this changes to kind of a symbolic act here. They're observing the Passover, but Jesus intends it for something different, for something more. And he changes forever his disciples' understanding of what the Passover is. He changes our understanding of what the Passover is. He teaches them about a new Passover, starting in verse 26. Now, there are some some really neat uh, correlations, similarities between Christ himself and the Passover lamb from Exodus chapter 12. I just want to point out several of them this morning because I think they really help us understand this new Passover. And you can see these in your notes. Number one is this. Both Jesus and the Passover lamb are free from blemish. Um, they were to choose, Israelites were to choose young males that were unblemished. In the the biblical sense, they were free of sin, free of defect, that sort of thing. Exodus chapter 12, verse 5 says, Your lamb shall be an unblemished male a year old. 1 Peter 1, 9 of Christ, it says, But with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Later on in chapter 26 of Matthew, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin, it says, were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. There was no spot. There was no blemish. Christ was free from sin, free from defect, just like the Passover lamb was to be. The second thing is that their blood was both applied to wooden beams. Think about that. The blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb, was applied to the wooden beam of the doorway. Now, oftentimes in that culture, and you, you kind of know this from, from history as far as pyramids and stuff, they built homes and things out of earth and clay and packed stuff. But most of the time, the structure of the entry of these places were made from wood, wooden beams. Exodus 21, 7, Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts, And on the lintel, that's the top of the beam of the doorway, of the houses in which they eat it. At his crucifixion, after being beaten severely, Jesus would have experienced a lot of blood loss, staining the wooden beams of the cross. The blood of both is applied to wooden beams. Number three, they both are killed publicly. Both Jesus and the Passover lamb are killed during the Passover festival. The lamb in the Old Testament was killed in plain view of all the public. Exodus twelve twenty one. 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once, select the animals for your families, and slaughter the Passover lamb. This was a, a family thing. This was a, a household thing. And they did it together. They did it in front of everyone. The Romans had crucifixions on a hill. We know it's called Golgotha. And they did it usually at one of the main intersections so that everybody that went by knew who was in control. Right? We're in charge here. Here's people hanging on a cross, dying, so you don't forget. 
Now, how many of you guys, um, I understand there is a birthday girl in the house today. Is that true? I see her back there. Sophie turns 11 today. How many of you guys like having birthdays? Okay, most of the kids, some of the adults are like, no thanks. Um, we like having birthdays. Most of us do. They're, they're a big deal. Sophie, your birthday is a big deal. In fact, I think I saw you in a big sombrero celebrating your birthday. They're a big deal. We like to, to make a big deal out of these things. Um, how many of you guys like celebrating the 4th of July? Independence Day. A lot, a lot of you guys like buying fireworks and blowing stuff up. You know, that's, that's great. We like to celebrate important events, don't we? It's good. It's, it's a big deal to do these sorts of things. What else do we like remembering? Anybody have a special thing that their family does? Jesus' birth? Yep. That's good. Anybody else have a family thing that they do every year? I know one family in our church uh, celebrates spiritual birthdays and they celebrate with a, with a, a cake and uh, some type of spiritual gift. I think that's incredible. That's great. We like to celebrate these kinds of events because they're important to us. It's good to celebrate these things. This is what the Passover signified. Number four, this is the thing that we celebrate. The blood of both is effective to save God's people. The blood of both Jesus and the Passover lamb does spiritual work for God's people, for all those who would be saved. It was, it was required in Exodus 12 to be shed, blood was shed and applied for each household and even eaten, internalized. Jesus' blood was shed for all people and applies sufficiently to the faithful for salvation. And this is where we remember that by internalizing that at the Lord's Supper. Christ's death is effective for all those who believe in him. And so all those who trust in him and submit themselves to him as personal Savior and Lord will be saved. This is the effect of Christ's blood on the cross. It's effective to save God's people. Fifthly, both the Passover lamb and Jesus experience God's fiery wrath. Exodus 12.9 says that they were to eat the meal roasted with fire. Romans 1.17 and 18, when talking of the gospel, says this, For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The wrath of God was poured out on Christ on the cross and it's fully unleashed there. But this is the beauty of the gospel. But everyone who believes in Christ has no need to be afraid. You have no need to be afraid of the wrath of God if you're saved because it has been fully paid, as we've sang already today, by Christ on the cross. John 3.36 says it this way, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not believe, whoever does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God rests over each one of us, but where it falls is dependent on what you do with Christ. Will it fall on him on the cross or will it fall on you at judgment day? Number six, 
the blood of both Christ and the Passover lamb absorb God's wrath. The blood of both Jesus and the Passover lamb, they serve to exhaust, absorb, soak up God's divine wrath that was due to others. The wrath of God was not poured out on Christ because of his sin. It was poured out on Christ because of our sin. Exodus twelve thirteen: the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will fall on you. Romans 5, 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? When, when Jesus prays in the garden of Gethsemane, as I said, we'll talk about next week, um, he mentions the cup. It says he, he mentions it three different times. He mentions the cup that he is to drink. And he drinks it for us. And we'll talk more about that next week. And we celebrate these kinds of things because we, rem- we love to remember big events. This new Passover that Jesus is instituting here is something that Christians will continue to do and continue to do until he returns because we love to remember big, important, monumental events in our family's history. The Lord's Supper is supposed to be an important event in the life of every believer. Here's the last point that I want to make, the last correlation and similarity. Both Jesus and the Passover lamb, the body of both is to be ceremonially eaten. Exodus 12:8, They shall eat the flesh that same night roasted with fire and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And they're told to do that each time. Luke 22, verse 19 of Jesus says, And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As often as you do this, remember me, he says. It's a ceremonial thing. When we take the Lord's Supper all together, as, as we'll do this coming Friday at our Good Friday service, we observe and we celebrate a monumental biblical event. This is, as we'll talk about in just a moment, this is a, something new that Jesus is, is instituting here. It's a new covenant, as he says, and it's rooted in redemption. The Lord's Supper, the new Passover, is rooted in redemption. It goes back deep into history, all the way, first Passover in Egypt, and extends to us today. The thread, I like to, to think of it, um, Jesus Storybook Bible that Rush has been leading our Awana kids through on Sunday evenings, said, the tagline is, every story whispers his name. And he's been going through Old Testament and some New Testament stories. And I, I love to think of the gospel in that way. To think of this, this golden thread that goes from creation all the way through the book of Revelation. And it ties all of these things together. This thread of redemption weaves its way from the garden all the way to Revelation. But it's exclamated, it's highlighted boldly at the cross. That's where it finds significance. Now, it's obvious that this meal is Jesus' idea. Okay? He gave his disciples specific instructions in order to make, his, make it happen. It makes us think back to when he came, before he came in on a donkey, he said, go to this person. Everything's going to work out just like he says. And, and it does. No detail 
was left to chance. The, the date was August 14th, 2003. It's a date my wife remembers really well because that was, was it the day that I proposed or the day before? She remembers it better than I do, as you can tell. Okay. So we had been dating for seven months. And in our dating, um, from the very beginning, we talked that, uh, that marriage was the inevitable end of that. And so as we were dating, we knew that that was coming. And seven months in, um, I, had, I made a plan to propose. Now, some of you guys have really, I've heard, have really elaborate plans. Mine was a little more simple than that. But we were in college, and we're poor college students, but I scrounged up enough money, and I made us reservations to the hotel, not the hotel, to the <laughs> restaurant, not the hotel, the restaurant above the hotel, uh, in St. Louis. I actually don't know if it's still there. It was the Millennium. You guys know it? Yeah. Anyway, this thing spun real slowly. And uh, we had... We, so I made us these nice fancy dinner reservations. I did not belong there. Um, but I wore a tuxedo. I had a tux from my parents' 25th wedding anniversary celebration that we did. And so I wore my tuxedo. And she got dressed up and we went real fancy to this meal. And we talked about rings before this date. Um, she kind of gave me some things to look for, but I didn't tell her I had one or didn't have one. Um, but I could tell as the evening went, her expectations were climbing, right? <laughs> so, so we're, we have this, this wonderful dinner. She had lamb chops. I remember because she made me order them for her. Um, she had lamb chops and then, so we're right downtown. It was a hot August, it was a hot August day. And so she said, well, let's go walk around underneath the arch. So, okay. So in my tuxedo in August, <laughs> I'm walking around in the park and you know, I'm like, I, okay, I think it's time to go. Well, let's just go a little bit further. So she was anticipating something. So we went, I think we in her, in her head, it would be really neat for this to happen here. Um, we went home. Nothing happened. Um, great dinner, walked around, very romantic. We went home. Um, I found out later that she was very, very disappointed and cried herself to sleep. And all of the, the bad part about Bible college is the girl's dorm when she goes back and now Rod Omis is the bad guy because... <laughs> He did, they're all, I can't believe he would do that. Um, anyway, so the reality is the ring hadn't come in yet. It just so happened that it wasn't available to the next day. So I knew all of this. So anyway, so I had this planned. I wasn't trying to hurt her, but uh, I had it planned with um, uh, some family and I invited her. We were supposed to go over and have dinner. So they left. So when she came in, I met her at the door and proposed and that sort of a thing. And uh, and thankfully, she said yes, even after the night before. Um, and uh, and it was a, it was a neat time. Um, but I knew from the beginning that I wasn't going to have the ring. But that was the only day I could make a reservation for. So I had to do it. I didn't leave it to chance, though. It wasn't like, well, it might come in whenever. This might happen whenever. This was a plan. This was specific. 
ultimately done so that her and I could, could spend our lives together in marriage. And uh, I'm glad that we did. I'm glad that you said yes, my dear. It didn't happen. Here, here's what I'm getting at. Uh, it didn't happen in the way that Nikki expected. But the effort that I put in, hopefully, communicated to her that I really wanted her to be my wife. The, the, the diamond ring was a pretty clear indication of that as well. Um, look at how Jesus, though, anticipates this meal. I want us to turn to Luke. Luke captures this story just a smidge different. And so I want us to look at Luke chapter 22. Verse 15, Luke 22, verse 15. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Do you see the difference here from what Matthew records and why the harmony of the Gospels is a beautiful thing? Luke says, records Jesus saying, I have earnestly desired to eat this meal with you before I suffer. This was Jesus' idea. He didn't leave it to chance. He had it planned. It's not what the disciples expected. It's not. And I mean, we'll see that even as we go forward in this story. But it was what Jesus expected. He planned it this way. He longs for his disciples to join him at his supper. And I'm not just talking about the 12. I'm talking about you and me. Jesus longs, earnestly desires for us to join with him in the supper. Do we long to meet him there? Do we anticipate the Lord's Supper like this, like Jesus did? Or is it more of an afterthought? Is it just a humdrum event that we do every once in a while? And when we do it, we're thinking about other things. As we prepare to join together this Friday and worship and have the Lord's Supper, celebrate the new Passover, I'd encourage you, prepare yourself this week in prayer, in meditation, in scripture. Prepare yourself through confession of sin, reconciliation with others, and expectant prayer for meeting around the Lord's table this Friday. Our Good Friday service isn't like most other things that we do. It's intimate, it's personal, it's informal. And so we're going to celebrate that day with songs, with testimonies, with scripture, with the Lord's Supper. There's going to be space for you to come and to share what God's been doing in your life, the grace that God has given you because of the cross. So use these next four or five days in reflective and joyful anticipation of sharing it together at the Lord's table on Friday and come willing to participate and share. You won't be required, but it's encouraged. This meal, this Lord's Supper, the new Passover is for all those who have a relationship with Christ. Everybody. The Lord's, the Lord's Supper is open to all those who have trusted Christ. And by his grace, through faith, everyone who believes in him can join him at the table. There's room at the table. 
Jesus gives us this new Passover to help us understand more fully the cost of redemption and this new covenant that he's bringing in. He says in verse 26 through 28 of Matthew 26, that his body and his blood will be poured out or given for many for the forgiveness of sins and that this ushers in a new covenant. It's no longer, this isn't a covenant that's going to be based on animal sacrifices anymore because the all-sufficient lamb has been slain. Hebrews puts this better than I ever could. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10 together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. Hebrews 10, verse 10 and following. And by that will, the will of the Father, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. He means never fully take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The priests would stand up day after day, making sacrifices for sin, atoning temporarily for sin, but it could never be done perfectly until Jesus until Christ, because the, the sinless life, the blood of a man who lived a sinless life was the only sacrifice able to do this, only sacrifice able to satisfy the righteous wrath of a holy God. And Jesus' sacrifice did this. It won forgiveness for all those who believe. That's what Matthew says, poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. This is the effect that the blood of Christ, the new Passover lamb has on God, satisfies God. The righteous wrath of God won't just be delayed until the next animal sacrifice. It has been forever satisfied by the perfect sacrifice of the spotless lamb of God. That's what he's getting at here. Jesus is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. That's how John the Baptist described him right at the beginning. There he is, the lamb, takes away the sins of the world. As God's judgment is fully poured out on Christ on the cross, our sin is fully forgiven. And as often as we share the Lord's Supper together, we remember Jesus' unique 
completely sufficient substitutionary death for sinners like us. We participate in the Lord's Supper because we have been delivered from death. We've been delivered from hell. And because we know every day we're in desperate need of grace. Every day. In closing this morning, I want us to turn to one more passage in Romans chapter 8. You've heard these verses before. You know them maybe by heart. But I want us to see the connection they have with the new Passover this morning. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 through 39. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Glance back at verse 32 again, though. Verse 32 Unlike the firstborn sons in Egypt at the Passover, Jesus is the son whom God does not spare so that we may be spared. This is what it says. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. This is the point of the new Passover that Jesus introduced that those who believe in him may be forgiven through his sacrifice by his blood. And that's why when we gather together to observe and celebrate the Lord's Supper, it should be a big deal. It should be full of joy, reverence, but joy. Because God refused to spare his own son so that you could live. Wow. It, is there any better news? Is there any better news than we could get today you can be forgiven of your sin you can be forgiven and you can join with the celebration of hope that we have in the savior this this easter season almost said christmas because of the snow you can be joined with the savior in this time of year and it's a beautiful thing brothers and sisters you're going to have family in your homes this easter season many who don't know christ if nothing else, before you have your meal together, open, open the Word. Share with them a little bit of Scripture. Remind them that God did not spare His Son so that they might be spared. 
Let that sink in in your Easter celebrations this season. And as we observe and take the Lord's Supper on, on Friday together, and I hope that we come with anticipation of what God's going to reveal and share and build us up together with, because he is instituting here a new Passover. He is wanting to change the disciples' understanding of the Lamb that satisfies the wrath of God. Let's pray together. Lord, I love that verse in John 3.36. Because it reminds me, Lord, without the covering, the sacrifice of Christ, Lord, your wrath, it just, it's waiting to fall when I breathe in my last. But the part that I, I get excited about is the fact that, Lord, it, it takes belief in the Son to be saved from that. It doesn't involve giving money. It doesn't involve repeating words. It doesn't involve a moral checklist. It doesn't involve anything that we do except turning our eyes from our sin to the Son, from ourselves to the cross. So, Lord, fix our eyes on the cross, fix our eyes on Jesus. Lord, no offering today can satisfy. In fact, we shouldn't try to sacrifice other things, Lord, because Jesus is the once for all sacrifice, all sufficient to pay the debt of all those who believe. And so, Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters here would believe. I pray for our children that they would believe that you did not spare what was most precious to you, Lord, so that we might be saved. Even while we're sinners, Christ died for us. So, Lord, as we reflect on these things, as we think deeply on this Passover and what that not just meant for the Jews, but what that means for us as disciples of Jesus today, would remind us of his sacrifice, of following him, I pray that our hearts are set on fire with this this morning, that we would go and we would remember this new covenant that we're under, this covenant of grace. And we thank you for your grace. In Christ's name we pray, amen.